0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome, River Glen. Good to be together with you. Welcome everybody over in Pewaukee and online, wherever you're located, uh, wherever you're sitting right now. So good to have you uh, with us. Before I get started, I want to look ahead a little bit. We've got uh, Thanksgiving uh, coming up this week. Next weekend, we're going to focus on gratitude and and thankfulness. Hope that you'll join us if you're traveling next weekend. Uh, join our online community Sunday morning at nine or ten thirty. It's a great resource. The week after that, we begin a brand new series called Merry Conversations, because at Christmas time, we have more opportunity to engage in conversations about church and about faith, and we want to help you uh, prepare for those uh, conversations. Well, today we finish up this message series called Battle Ready. Recently, I heard a message by a pastor named uh, Bob Merritt on today's subject that really inspired me and formed the basis for what I want to share with you Today, And I think it's really important because all of us face uh, battles at every age and at every stage in life. We've been studying through the New Testament book of of Ephesians. And the Apostle Paul tells us that we are chosen, strong, alive, filled, gifted, decisive, that makes us battle-ready for whatever challenges and struggles that life throws at us. And it seems like we have everything we need to overcome every battle But in chapter 6, Paul tells us about an ongoing battle that we cannot win without additional help. Here's what he writes. He says, a final word. If you haven't heard anything else, make sure you hear this. Paul says, a final word. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits, in the heavenly uh, places. Now, if you're new to church or new to faith, you might be thinking that sounds like a fairy tale or something out of Game of Thrones. But Scripture makes it clear. There is a spiritual world that is every bit as real as the physical world. And it says you and I are in a struggle, a battle, not just against things that we see, but against an enemy that we can't see. So verse 13, Paul goes on and he says, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. So Paul says we live in this, in this spiritual battle against a dark spiritual world and none of us can defeat these evil spirits on our own. These evil spirits try to bring destruction and division and brokenness into our lives. That's why we need God's armor, every single piece of God's armor to resist the enemy and stand firm and win the battle. But here's the problem. Many people don't even know about this battle or about this enemy, and we think that our conflict, our struggle, our battle is with another person, maybe a family member, a classmate, a coworker, or maybe we think it's just an internal problem that we deal with. But Paul says there's another battle going on that some of us are not even aware of. And maybe the reason we struggle with another person, maybe the reason we struggle so much with a problem is because we have a spiritual enemy who wants to attack us, who wants to attack our relationships. But because we can't see him, we may not even consider the fact that he is the source of the problem now i 've mentioned this before, but i 've had some uh, hip pain, left uh, hip pain, persistent hip pain i 've gone to several doctors and therapists, and they they, they haven 't been able to uh, identify the cause of the uh, pain A few months ago, my doctor sent me for a bike fitting. I like to ride my bicycle. But I put it off. I'm like, I, I know how to ride. I know how to adjust a bike. I've ridden a bike for a long, a long time. But the hip pain persisted, and so I just went for this uh, bike fitting. And this this uh, master bike fitter made some adjustments on my bike. And then he tells me the seat on my bike might be causing uh, pain, and maybe a smaller seat, in a different shape, might help. Now I always thought, you know, the bigger the bike seat, you know, the thicker the cushion, the better. No, no, no. Actually, it's the opposite. A smaller bike seat puts less stress on the hips and the muscles and less risk of uh, injury. And so he shows me this really small bike seat and uh, how, it, how it is different than my current seat. And so I ask him how much for the uh, small bike seat. And I almost fainted uh, when he told me <laughs> the, the price. I'm thinking there's no way I'm paying that much money for a bike seat. And so I asked him, do you have a less expensive, similar bike seat? And he shows me this purple one, I mean, which is an unusual color. And he says, this is a sample they gave me, but I can order a black one for you. But he told me the price and I almost fainted again. But then he said, or I can sell you the purple one at a discount. Yeah. And so guess what color bike seat I have? Yeah, (laughs) purple one. I think it's cool. Yeah. And uh, I still walked out feeling like I sinned because I spent so much money on this bike seat. But maybe this is the cause of the pain. We'll see. My hip has felt better. We'll see. But maybe the pain is not caused by something dramatic, but the real cause is riding on a bike that subtly irritates and works against my hip. In the same way, I think often we often attribute our struggles and battles in life to something that we can see. But maybe the reason that we struggle so much In some area of life, it's because we have an enemy who quietly erodes our confidence, erodes our character, erodes our relationships. Maybe part of the the reason we struggle with fear or discouragement or conflict or low self-worth isn't necessarily because of something that we can see, but because of an enemy, an unseen enemy who subtly and quietly works against us. Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the, 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 the evil forces in this dark uh, world. So what I want to do today is talk about who our, who our enemy is and how to protect ourselves, because we're in a battle. Scripture says we're in a battle, we're in a struggle, and when you're in a battle, you need to know your enemy. And so I want to point out three characteristics about our enemy that you need to know. Here's the first one. Satan and his demons are actual spiritual beings, In verse 12 of chapter 6 in Ephesians, Paul calls them rulers and authorities and powers in this dark world. They they started out as angels. Uh, Scripture says that God uh, created uh, angels. I believe God created angels with a free will, uh, just like he created us. And some of the angels, led by Satan, decided to oppose God and try to do do things their own way, but Satan lost that battle. And he lost his place in heaven. Revelation chapter 12 says, But woe to the earth and sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. So Satan and his demons are living, thinking, real spiritual beings. Nowhere in Scripture does it refer to Satan as as an it. He's referred to as he or him with personal names like Lucifer or Satan, the evil one, the liar, the, the tempter, the accuser. And Satan and his demons have some reign in this world, and we all, every person, must deal with them. Second, Satan is a deceiver and a destroyer. Look at how Peter describes Satan here. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Uh, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, notice here how uh, Peter describes Satan as a roaring uh, lion, uh, which is a member of the cat family, uh, right? Which uh, affirms uh, that cats are demons. Yeah, Uh, don't get mad, okay? Scripture for it right there, right in front of us, okay? But here's how Jesus, look at how Jesus described Satan. Look at the strong language. Jesus described him as the father of lies, murderer, the thief. Satan opposes God. He hates everything that God loves, especially you and me. And like a lion, he lurks around waiting for the opportunity to destroy your life. Satan is a destroyer. And finally, Satan is subtle. Look at what Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways. Of the serpent, See, Satan will work in cunning and subtle ways to lure you away from God and from faith. I've heard it said the greatest trick the devil has ever played is to convince people that he doesn't exist. There's nothing Satan wants more than for you to believe. He doesn't exist because he knows if you don't believe he's real, you're not going to work against him. You're not going to fight against him. and You won't know his power and the way he works in this world to lure you away from God and faith and cause problems. In your, in your life. Now, some people do go to an, an extreme on this uh, subject. C.S. Lewis has a classic quote. He says, When it comes to Satan, people usually fall into one of two errors. We either take him all together too seriously, you know, we give him too much credit, or we do not take him seriously enough. You ever talk to somebody who just takes Satan too uh, seriously, gives him too much credit? You ask them how their day's going, and, and they say, oh, I'm having a bad day. I'm, a, I'm just under demonic attack. I got up. My alarm didn't go off. I had a flat tire on the way to work. Went to the grocery store to get avocados. The avocados weren't even ripe, and uh, just under demonic attack all day. Been a difficult day, but not every problem in our lives comes from Satan. Sometimes people get the flu because of a virus. Sometimes people get in a car accident because they're texting. Sometimes people fail a test because they didn't study. Paul wants us to be aware of Satan but not paralyzed or obsessed uh, by him. But the other mistake is just ignore him. Just laugh him off as, as silly. But notice what Paul says. He says our struggle... I I take it our main struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Notice how Paul says, when, not if. When the day of evil comes and Satan will wait for just the right time when you feel tired, weak, bored, lonely, stressed out, and he will move in with some kind of temptation. So not every problem is the work of Satan, but some problems are. Maybe there's a relational issue. Maybe there's an irrational fear or a besetting sin, a a pattern of sin and you have tried to overcome it, but nothing is working. Maybe, maybe you haven't identified and gone after the source of the, the problem. Maybe there's, maybe there's spiritual oppression or demonic activity that feels like hopelessness, some problem in your life that you just can't seem to shake. Sometimes the source is spiritual, and we need to deal with Satan and his uh, demons. Satan wants to destroy our marriages, our relationships our finances, our careers, our faith. Satan tries to destroy what is most valuable to you, but Paul says in Jesus, through Jesus we are equipped and battle ready to go after the source and defeat the power of this dark world. God's already provided all the weapons and all the armor that we need to protect ourselves from Satan who wants to steal our joy and kill our faith and destroy our lives. We just need to know how to use the armor. And so how do we put on each piece of uh, God's armor so that we will resist the enemy? Well, here's the first way. You live by the truth. Paul says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. Now, remember, as we go through this, remember, Paul wrote the letter to to the Ephesians from a prison cell in Rome, chained to a Roman guard. He probably looked at what the Roman soldiers wore as he wrote this uh, letter. And so when a Roman soldier went into battle, they often wore a leather belt, you know, kind of like this one right here, to serve two purposes. They would hang their weapons off the belt, and they could also tuck their toga. They wore togas. They could tuck their toga into their belt so they didn't trip. You know, a belt may not seem real important until you don't have one, because if you run into battle... And, uh, you know, your toga or your pants fall down around your ankles. You're going to trip and fall and lose the battle. So what is the belt of truth? It means that you speak the truth and live the truth. Question for you. How many people do you know who have wrecked their lives, wrecked their families, wrecked their businesses because they lied and cannot be trusted? They're not truthful people. And when you give in to that temptation, eventually the belt of truth will loosen so much, eventually you are just going to trip and fall all over yourself. Your lies will eventually catch up with you. But when you wear the belt of truth, you don't ever have to worry about getting caught with your pants down around your ankles. The, the, The truth will protect you and set you free. Second way to protect yourself from the enemy is to strengthen your character. Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. When Roman soldiers went into battle, they would, they'd put on a breastplate made out of metal. And uh, it looked like this one here. Covered everything from the neck all the way to the, to the waist, protecting vital organs from the enemy's attack. And so when Paul talks about the breastplate of righteousness, he means living right and having strong character. Because when you live right and have strong character, it protects your heart. And it protects your soul from attacks of the enemy. But when there's a crack in your character, when there's a crack in your armor, Satan will see that opening and he's going to try to bring you down. Back in 1993, our military got into a violent gun battle in Somalia. Some of you may remember some of the graphic pictures from that battle. The movie Black Hawk Down showed the, the, the violence in the battle in Somalia. I heard a story about one of our soldiers in the battle in Somalia. It got so hot outside, this soldier loosened his vest, his bulletproof vest. He loosened it to cool off. But in that moment, a sniper's bullet went through his uh, ribs and through his heart. The medics found the bullet in the vest, but not before he bled to death moments before. The soldier thought he could cool off for just a moment and loosen his vest. But Satan brings people down when they loosen their vest. He sees an opening, and he goes in for the kill. All he needs is just a crack in the armor, just even a small indiscretion. And we all have vulnerability. Satan will sometimes wait for years for you to expose the crack in your armor before he tries to bring you down. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you recently loosened your vest in a subtle way. Maybe an attractive colleague at work invites you for a drink even though you're you're married and uh, you think nothing's gonna happen. Or skimming some cash off the cash register. Maybe it's the phone at your bedside late at night When you're all alone and you tell yourself, no one's ever going to know, you know, I I can loosen my vest a little bit. Nobody's going to get hurt. But a soldier in Somalia thought the same thing and went home in a body bag. The moment you loosen your vest, Satan will do whatever he can to try to destroy everything valuable in your life. And so that drink together leads to an affair. The skimming leads to the destruction of your career and reputation. Those late night views lead to an addiction to pornography. Again, I don't know what it is for you, but do some reflecting this week. Where are you vulnerable? Where have you loosened your vest? Where is the crack in your armor? It's not too late. Ask God for help. Confess it to him. He will seal up your armor. Don't give the enemy an opening. Don't slip when it comes to your character. Third way to protect yourself from the enemy, increase your faith. Uh, Paul says it this way, hold up the shield of faith to stop all the fiery arrows of the uh, devil. Notice, notice Paul says, not, not some of the fiery arrows. No, that shield is going to stop all the fiery arrows. When Roman soldiers went into battle, they, they carried a, a shield. Not a small, you know, circular Captain America shield, but a large two foot by four foot wood shield Wrapped in leather, and the shield protected a soldier from the arrows of the enemy. But often, the enemy lit the arrows on fire, and that leather that wrapped the shield would extinguish those arrows. And in the same way, Satan and his demons will shoot all kinds of arrows to pierce our lives, and they light the arrows on fire to try and destroy everything arrows of temptation, arrows of lies, arrows of accusations like, You're not good enough, be afraid be anxious, God's not real, just one look, no one will ever know, and then God will never forgive you. Any of those sound familiar? Some of those sound familiar to me. But Paul says the way to extinguish these arrows of temptation and accusation and and lies is to increase our faith, because faith says in Jesus, you're more than enough. God is stronger than the temptation. Don't be anxious or afraid, God will never leave you or abandon you. God's with you and for you. And I know it takes faith to believe those things, but we can't knock down all of the enemy's arrows on our own. Faith becomes a shield that will extinguish all, not some, all of the fiery arrows of the enemy. So increase your faith and hide behind that shield that God provides. The fourth way to protect yourself, claim your identity in Jesus. Paul says it this way, put on salvation as your helmet. Now, all of us have probably seen a Roman soldier's helmet look something like this, and it would protect, obviously protect their head from the enemy. But notice this red broom on top of the uh, helmet that allowed Roman soldiers to easily identify their teammates on the battlefield. And so when Paul says put on the helmet of salvation, he means protect your mind protect what you watch, see, hear, think about the movies and TV shows that you watch, the books that you uh, read. But he also means claim your identity in Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means when you start following Jesus, God gives you a brand new identity as a child of God. You're not an orphan. You're not a stranger. You're not on the opposition. You're not part of the enemy's team. God has adopted you. As his own child, the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. So when Paul says put on the helmet of salvation, he means protect your mind and claim your new identity as a child of God. Now I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle to believe believe and claim this identity that God loves me as his own. You ever struggle with that? Last year, a family in our uh, church uh, welcomed a a new little girl into their uh, family uh, named Ruby. Ruby lived in an orphanage in China. They estimate when she was just three days old. Can you imagine this? She's three days old, and somebody abandoned her on the steps of a government building in China. No mom, no dad, no real hope for the future, But Steve and Janelle Olson and their three kids traveled to China. And on June 25th, 2018, they adopted Ruby as their own. Gave her a new name. Uh, She became their child and became part of uh, their family. And when I think about their amazing love for this uh, little girl, I'm reminded that even their amazing love for her pales in comparison to God's love. For, for each and every one of us. God's love for each of his children. You're not an orphan. You're not a stranger. You're a child of God. And so when Satan causes you to question your identity, your sense of worth, your place in God's family, you put on that helmet and you tell Satan, I'm a child of God. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who God says that I am. One more way to protect yourself from the enemy is to use your weapons. Paul says it this way, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When a Roman soldier went into battle, typically they would carry two weapons, a sword and a small dagger. By the way, this is the only offensive weapon that Paul mentions. Up to this point, all the weapons are defensive to protect us. But now he says, this is the way to fight back against the pain and the lies and the accusations and the division That Satan brings by knowing God's word. Do you know God's word? Do you read God's word? Do you think of Bible reading like a sword? When I I read scripture, it allows God's word to flow into my heart and soul. And I'm just wielding this this massive sword that I can use to fight back against the attacks of Satan. But then do you know it? Do you recall it? I think of this as like a small dagger. It's like having a few scriptures memorized. Memorized that you can pull out and use to fight back against the attacks of Satan. Maybe a scripture like like this one here, 1 Peter 5, where it says, cast all your anxiety on God, all of it, because he cares about you. Maybe some of you need to memorize that scripture this week. Or when Satan comes after you, remember, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. God's word is a weapon that fights back against the attacks of Satan. So read it. Know it, repeat it. God's word will help you defeat every one of Satan's attacks. Now, I'm guessing if you're like me, I mean, you're probably not gonna remember all the pieces of armor. There are several of, of them. The, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the, the spirit, the helmet of salvation, but maybe there's one piece of armor that really resonates with you today. What, what is one piece of armor that you really need to put on this next week. Maybe it's to read more of God's word. Maybe it's to memorize a verse of scripture. Maybe it's to strengthen your character by closing up those cracks in your armor, avoiding even small indiscretions. Maybe it's believing, increasing your faith so that you believe what God says about you and your new identity and trusting God no matter what happens in, in life. Ask yourself, what's one piece of armor What is one piece of armor that that I really need to wear this next uh, week? And then I think it's really important for us to look at how Paul ends this section in verse 18. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 6. He says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayer. Sometimes I think we forget that prayer is a weapon and it's part of the battle. It's interesting, the order, the sequence here. Paul says, armor up, put on all God's armor, and then pray. And so think about this. Prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer itself is the battle. And one of the best ways to protect ourselves from the enemy is prayer. Are you a person of prayer? Are you a person who prays every day? And do you specifically pray for spiritual protection Working on this message made me realize that I need to put more emphasis on this area, this aspect of my uh, prayers. And so I started to pray specifically for protection for my wife and for my uh, kids and for our, our staff and leaders and for you. Because I guarantee Satan is attacking us, but each of us have a role in the battle, and that is prayer. And so I started praying like this. God, I pray for protection over my life, my family, our staff and leaders, and our church. Help us to put on every piece of armor so that we stand firm. Cut off any demonic ties and influence. Protect us from Satan. And Paul says that prayer not only helps us resist evil, it makes us alert, more alert to the battle going on around us. That's how you protect your life, that's how you protect your family and your church, through prayer. And so I'm going to go ahead and do that. Let me pray for us. And then after this song, team's going to lead us in a song. And then after, uh, after this song, we're going to have a benediction. We're going to close this service in this series with a benediction. A benediction is a prayer of blessing at both locations. Let me go ahead and pray for us. God, I think every one of us, whether we know you or not, I think we would agree there is evil at work in this world, and it clashes with good. It clashes with the love and the joy and the peace and the hope that you represent. And God, as this clash happens, help us to claim the victory you promise and give to us in Jesus. But we know that our role in this battle is to pray. And so we pray for protection over the lives of people that we know and love. And we pray for our our church. We want to see more lives transformed, more addictions broken, more hope restored. And so we pray against Satan. And and God, we we give our church over to you. And we pray in Jesus' name that we would see victory and transformation and more lives reached and changed. We want to see that happen in our families and in our neighborhoods. And all across Waukesha and Pewaukee and Milwaukee. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.